Well, many of you celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, and then after Thanksgiving, uh, there is, of course, Black Friday. Um, but for our family, we have our post-Thanksgiving traditions. I'm sure many of you have your own traditions as well. For, for us, the day after Thanksgiving, we love to go out and get our Christmas tree. And so we have a particular Christmas tree farm that we go to, and we chop down a live tree, and we bring it home. And then while we're putting up the Christmas tree, one of our other traditions is to watch the movie Elf. Those of you guys watch the movie Elf. Okay, oh, okay, great, a lot of you. I hope you're all fans of the movie. We love this movie. Every year we watch it again, and uh, you'll often hear us quoting Elf uh, in ridiculous moments. But if you're not familiar with the movie, let me just give you a quick recap. So the, in this movie, uh, Buddy the Elf is actually an orphaned human being who has been adopted by the North Pole elves, and so he's living in Santa's workshop. He has totally taken on the culture and the attributes of all the other elves, and then he learns that his biological father lives in New York City, and so he leaves the uh, North Pole, and he goes to visit his father and uh, tries to reconnect with him, tries to uh, rebuild a relationship with his biological father. And, uh, and about halfway through the movie, uh, his dad takes him to work with him. And so I want to show you this scene this morning. Hey, Walter. Morning, Jack. Morning, Jack. Oh, good morning, Mr. Hobbs. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. It's a nice purple dress. It's very purpley. Francisco. How's it going, Mr. Hobbs? Francisco, that's fun to say. Francisco. Hi. Do you remember me? I do. I didn't recognize you. I know. I'm in work clothes. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks, Deb. Deb, you have such a pretty face. You should be on a Christmas card. You just made my day. Here, pal. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Put that down. Hello? Hello? Please don't touch anything. Sorry. So, after watching that scene, one of the things that impresses me is that Buddy the Elf is like Jesus. I actually did say that, yes. <laughs> Buddy the Elf is like Jesus. And what I mean by that is if you had Jesus come to work with you, he would not just sit quietly in the corner. He would mess with you. He would mess with what you're doing. You wouldn't just be able to do life as usual when Jesus comes to work with you. And that's what we mean when we say that Jesus does on-the-job training with us. Not only his work, but your work is impacted. Your neighborhood, your homes, when Jesus is there with you, it's not going to be the same. We've been doing a series we've called On-the-Job Training, and we were looking at the book of Acts and all these wonderful men and women, these disciples of Jesus who had incredible lives and asking ourselves, how did they get here? What was their experience that brought them to this place where they impacted the world? And then we looked at the Gospel of Luke and we traced our steps backward through the Gospel of Luke to see what was their on-the-job training, their experience with Jesus. And we've had some practices. We've been reading through the book of Luke. And now, this morning, 
we are finishing our series. This is the end of our on-the-job training, and fittingly so, because we are seeing what happens when Simon Peter brings Jesus to work with him. And as you can imagine, Jesus messes with Simon Peter. It's not just a usual day at work for Simon Peter. He is really, truly doing on-the-job training with Simon Peter. So let's see what this looks like in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. You can read along in your Bible or on the screens here. It says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is in Simon Peter's neighborhood. He is uh, around Peter a lot at this point in the story. Uh, he's in a town called Bethsaida, which uh, literally translates to house of fish. It's a town of fishermen. And in the previous chapter, we see that not only was Jesus in this town of fishermen, but he is intimately acquainted with Peter. He is in his home. And there's a story in Luke chapter 4 of Jesus being in Peter's home and healing his mother-in-law from a fever. So Peter knows Jesus. He knows him pretty well. And he has experienced what Jesus does in his home. But now Jesus is on the shore of, uh, of the town of Bethsaida on the lake of Gennesaret, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee. And he is in Peter's workplace. He is hanging out with him on the job. And it's really fun because what Jesus does, of course, is he begins to mess with Peter. I say that kind of colloquially. I, I can't read this passage without seeing Jesus say what he does with a smile. I think that he knows what he's about to ask him is completely absurd. And if you're a fisherman, like Peter was, you would know that it's absurd what Jesus is asking him to do. Part of how you can understand this is that Jesus, Peter used what were called trammel nets. They still use these to these days. And what he probably did was he would throw these over the edge of the boat. Actually, he wouldn't just throw them. He would gently let them down into the water. And then he would pull these nets toward the shore. And this is how he might have caught fish back in that day. Now, the important piece about this is that trammel nets are dark. And if you were to do this during the day, the fish would see it. They would see this thing coming towards them and just run away. And so that's why they fished at night, because the fish couldn't see the net. And it was simpler and easier. As a matter of fact, it was pretty much pointless to fish during the day. 
So when Jesus tells Simon to cast his nets out during the day, probably with a smile, Peter would think, now that's pretty ridiculous. That's pretty absurd. And not only that, you have to think about all the risk involved in this. He's already cleaning up his nets. This is just more work for Peter. Maybe there's the possibility of him looking ridiculous to his fisher friends. Remember, it's a town of fishermen. What are they going to think when Peter hauls his boat back out to the deep water and throws his net over one more time during the day when it makes no sense to go fishing? He's asking Peter to do something absurd. But more than that, he's asking Peter to trust him. He's asking him to trust him. And as I mentioned Peter and Jesus have a relationship already. Peter's experienced Jesus in his home, so he knows him. He knows him enough to say, okay, Jesus, I'll do what you ask me to, master at your word, right? Those are words of trust. So even if what Jesus is asking him to do seems absurd, Peter knows him enough to say, okay, I'll do it because I know you. I think that in the walk of, of, of a life with Jesus, if we are people who say, yes, Jesus, I want to do on-the-job training with you. I want to take you to work with me. I want to take you to my neighborhoods. We are going to experience those moments when Jesus asks us to do things that seem absurd. And sometimes that's situational. Sometimes that can be circumstantial. When we are following the lead of the Holy Spirit and we sense that Jesus is asking us to do something in the moment, Maybe he's asking us to move somewhere. Maybe he's asking us to be in relationship with someone. Whatever the case is, sometimes there are those moments like this one where it's just in the moment where Jesus is saying, I want you to do something that may seem ridiculous. But I think what is probably more often the case is that Jesus is asking us to do things that are consistent with his teaching. You can just read the Sermon on the Mount. And notice that what Jesus tells us to do sometimes in his teaching feels ridiculous. Love your enemies, he says. Don't be worried about tomorrow, he says. Don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Just read through the Sermon on the Mount, and again and again, Jesus asks us to do things that seem counterintuitive, that go against the grain of just the human experience. And so sometimes what Jesus is asking to do is these ridiculous, absurd things are consistent with his teaching on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as Jesus taught it, is a reality that is upside down. It's often, it often goes against the grain, as I said, with what we experience and what we know is, should be done. Right? I should hate my enemies. I should be worried about tomorrow. Jesus says, no, that's not reality as I understand it, as I know it. That's not the kingdom of God. And so Jesus... In our experience, when we invite him into where we go, ask us to do things that seem absurd, that seem ridiculous. And he asks us, more importantly, to trust him in those things. And as the story goes on, there's kind of a, a cascading effect to this. Because after Peter does this, after he trusts them, of course, something happens. Right? We get to see, actually, that Jesus knows what he's talking about. What seemed absurd on the surface was not absurd after all. And so you can see and tell that Peter is thinking really quickly. He's understanding the implications of what has just happened. After all, what does this mean? What does this mean about Jesus? Jesus knew the fish were there. Maybe Jesus brought 
the fish there. What does that say about Jesus' command of creation? His ability to know things. That means that Jesus is more than just your average person. And so Peter is putting all this together and he recognizes that Jesus is holy. And so one of the cascading effects of, G- of Peter trusting in Jesus is that he has this epiphany. He has a revelation. And it's a double-sided revelation. Not only does he get in this moment to see that Jesus is holy, he gets to see Jesus' glory. But then as he does that, he begins to recognize, oh, Jesus can see things. Jesus can see things that I can't see. Jesus can see me. Jesus knows what I've done. Right? Jesus is a holy person. I am not. And so part of the revelation, part of the epiphany that Peter has is this double-sided epiphany. Yes, Jesus is glorious. Jesus is holy. He is good. And I am not. And if you read through the scriptures, you'll see that this is pretty common. That when people have encounters with glory, with an angel, with God himself, they have this kind of experience where not only are they awestruck, the word in this passage is astonished, which means a combination of fear and wonder. They have this experience of seeing God's glory, but also this experience of recognizing their own sin. We see this uh, especially in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. There's a really interesting story here that has a lot of fascinating parallels with Peter's experience in in Luke chapter 5. Listen along to this story in Isaiah chapter 6. It says this, In the year that King Isaiah died, I, meaning Isaiah, saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So you can see the parallels here. That Isaiah is having an epiphany. He's having a revelation. He gets to see who God is in all of his glory. And as he does, he also realizes his own state, his own sin. It's kind of like the experience if you've been in a really nice hotel room and you go into the bathroom and they have those really harsh blue lights. And as you get closer to that mirror and the light comes brighter, you begin to realize all of your imperfections. You're like, oh gosh, I didn't realize I had that, I realized I had that many blemishes. That's the effect of really clear, really bright light. And that's kind of the experience that Peter has as he draws near to Jesus, as he sees more of Jesus. It's almost like getting closer to that mirror and seeing more of his own sin and more of his own imperfection. Isaiah and Peter have the same experience. And what's fascinating, what's really incredible about this, is that Peter is having a throne room-like experience, just like Isaiah, in his workplace, on the beach at the lake of Gennesaret. He's getting to see who God is and more about himself at the same time at his job. I think as this goes on, as as Peter experiences this and he has this epiphany, 
It's really beautiful to see how Jesus responds in the statement, don't be afraid. And in those four words is wrapped up so much grace and so much forgiveness. And what Jesus does next is he commissions Peter. He commissions him with a pun. Remember, Jesus has a sense of humor. Again, I love this about him that uh, he makes this statement about no longer will you be a, a fisherman, but you will fish men, right? It's a pun. Have a sense of humor, people. <laughs> He's a man fisherman. And with this humor, I think there's something deeper, maybe even a little bit more subtle. And I'll take the, the privilege of being a pastor and making a big deal out of something that seems small. But I think there's something really uh, special in the way that Jesus uses this pun to commission Peter. When I studied this a little bit, there was something interesting about the word that Jesus used. Um, he doesn't just say fish. Now you will fish men. He says you will capture them alive. And it's a word with some history in Greek literature. It's usually used in the context of war or hunting. And it's a word that meant really essentially that you will liberate people when you capture them alive. You're not uh, subduing them, you're not killing them, you are actually liberating them. There's mercy involved in that word. And so, in the sense that Jesus is giving to Peter, he's kind of saying, all that you've been doing, your work as a fisherman, is now getting a twist. You are now liberating people. Instead of capturing fish and killing them for a livelihood, you are capturing people alive and liberating them. He is changing the context of his job to be something uniquely new. He's transforming it, giving it depth, giving it purpose and meaning. And why I want to draw this out is because Jesus doesn't just commission him and say, okay, forget that fisherman stuff. You're doing something completely different. He's saying, actually, your experience as a fisherman has new meaning, new purpose, new life, and I'm commissioning you to take your experience and use it for me. We talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, Levi, the tax collector, and I like to imagine that if Jesus was in a punning mood when he ran into Levi, he might have said something similar. He said to Levi, follow me, but he, I think, had that same sense of transforming what he is doing into something else, and if he were punning, he might have said, Levi, you were giving a tax break to people before, but now you are tax-breaking chains. I know, I just inflicted psychic pain on you with that horrible pun. But you have to get that sense, right, that Jesus will take what somebody's experienced and he will transform it and commission them into a deeper experience of what they've gone through. He will give them purpose and meaning to their work. So when we see what Jesus does with Peter in this scene, I really believe that if we invite Jesus into our work, these are the kind of things that Jesus will do in our experience, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. He will mess with us. He won't sit quietly in the corner. He will transform what we do. And I don't think there's necessarily a formula to this. I think this is a snapshot. I do think people experience these kinds of things in their life when they invite Jesus into their work, though. As I was reflecting on this, I realized that a lot of this uh, 
might have been stuff that my friend Maddie was experienced. If you know Maddie, she just went back with the kids. She's our family ministry lead. And right now in her life, she is um, earning a degree. She's finishing up a degree in education. And part of that, she has to uh, have the experience of working in a school. And so as I was thinking, I was wondering, gosh, is, is Maddie experiencing some of this right now? I would have loved for her to be able to share her own story. I would have probably done a little interview with her, but she's back there with the kids. She gave me permission to kind of share her own experience of some of this that Peter experienced, she has experienced. I asked her, uh, first of all, Maddie, do you feel like in working in the school that Jesus has asked you to do something absurd, something ridiculous? And she said, yeah. It felt pretty absurd for her to choose East Port Orchard as the school that she was going to. She told me that her mom, who is also a teacher, when her friends, her mom's friends, heard that Maddie was working in East Port Orchard, they said, she's working where? Why didn't she choose somewhere else? Right? So apparently East Port Orchard has that kind of a reputation. But Maddie felt that sense of call that Jesus was saying, hey, I want you to work here. This is where you live, and this is where I want to be with you. And she, Maddie distinctly felt that, and that knew that that was not the wisest choice necessarily. It wasn't the uh, choice that most people would make. It was the absurd choice. And so, yes, yeah, so Maddie had had that experience of being, of, of Jesus asking her to do something that didn't make sense on the face of it. So I said, okay, well, how about your experience of that? Have you felt like because you've trusted Jesus that you've had an epiphany? Have you seen Jesus in some new way? I said, yeah, that she has experienced Jesus as a co-sufferer. That in her being around kids and families who are suffering, she has realized more about Jesus as someone who suffers with other people. Jesus was someone who suffered. He went through pain. And so Maddie has, has had a revelation, an epiphany of Jesus as the kind of person who comes alongside, who suffers with us and suffers with the kids that she is with. I said, okay, well, in that, in that regard, how, many, how about an epiphany about yourself. And as you looked at Jesus, have you realized something about yourself in that whole experience too? I said, yeah. I've learned that I am not as loving as I would like to be. I'm not as patient as I want to be. I'm not uh, as... I, I, I need help not being negative about complaining. And so she experienced that double-sided epiphany, the double-sided revelation that Peter did. I said, okay, well, in, in your experience as, as you've gone through this so far, have you felt like it's changed your sense of call? Have you felt a, a sense of commissioning out of this? I said, yeah. She said that one of the things that she is walking away with, even so far into her experience at East Port Orchard, is that she wants to be a person who helps families be restored. She wants to be a restorer of families. She told me that one of the things that she is walking away with is that maybe she doesn't work at East Port Orchard, but now she's learned that she wants to be invested in these kids' lives, that she wants to go back to be with them, to co-suffer with them even as Jesus co-suffered with us. So what used to be just a checkbox for a degree is now something that's much more meaningful for Maddie. 
now something that is becoming ingrained into her own life and her own sense of call and her own walk with Jesus. She has felt commissioned out of that. And what I so appreciate about Maddie sharing this with me is that it just reminds me that the stuff that Jesus uses to teach us isn't necessarily here on Sunday morning. It isn't necessarily as we're reading our Bibles. It's the stuff of our life. It's our job. It's our homes, the interaction with our family. It's the interactions with our neighbors. These are the places that Jesus comes to with us. These are the places that he transforms our lives through. And Maddie's experience just reiterates that for me. She needed Sunday morning. She needed Sunday morning to be reminded of who Jesus is. But the day in, day out, Monday through Friday, was where Jesus was with her. It was where Jesus was transforming her and doing a work in her. This is a picture of the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus hung out with Peter. And if we have read through the book of Luke, we know that this is where Jesus was. He was at the Lake of Gennesaret. He was in people's mistakes, in their failures. He was at their tables, sometimes fun dinners, sometimes more somber dinners. He was all in the stuff of their life. He was right where they were at, and he was transforming them where they were at. Many of you have sent in your pictures of your neighborhoods. So this is where you live. It's one of the places where you live. This is where your neighborhood is. I just want to remind you that this is where Jesus is too. When we say on-the-job training, these are the places where Jesus is meeting you and he's meeting your neighbors. These are the places where Jesus is saying, trust me. I might ask you to do something that feels ridiculous, but trust me. These are the places where Jesus is giving us a revelation of himself. He's allowing us to see more of his glory, but he's also allowing us to see a little bit more of where we need him, where we need healing, where we need forgiveness. These are the places where he takes what we do day in, day out, and he transforms it. He twists it in a way that gives it more depth, more meaning, more purpose, that turns us into people of the kingdom. So as we finish this series of on-the-job training, man, that's what I hope you have walked away from, spending that time in Luke, doing the practice of examine, looking every day at the day that you just experienced and recognizing that Jesus is with you in that. Jesus is right there where you are at. What an incredible thing. He doesn't stay away from us. He doesn't section himself off. He's right there in the grit of daily life. In a moment, we are going to celebrate communion. And what I love about the practice of communion is that Jesus takes a regular old meal, regular old bread, regular old juice. He says, this is holy. This is sacred. So true of this meal that we're about to have. So true of the stuff of our lives. It is holy stuff. It is sacred stuff because Jesus 
is there with us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a God who came to live with us, that you uh, dwelled with us. Lord, thank you that we, in that, were able to see your glory. And so, Lord, as we live life, Lord, as we go to our jobs, as we spend time with our families, we interact in our neighborhoods, all the context of our life, Lord, we invite you to be there. Lord, help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see the ways that you are speaking to us, the ways that you are asking us to trust you. Lord, I pray that in the daily stuff of life that we see more of you, that we get to see more of your glory. And Lord, that you extend forgiveness to us, you extend grace to us in those moments when we see more of ourselves. Jesus, transform our jobs to be more than just a checkbox. But Lord, help them to be places where we follow you where we do your kingdom work. Jesus, you are so faithful to us. You are so good. And we invite you into the mix and the grips of our daily life. We pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.